Welcome to a, uh, a new series this week. We've entitled it The People Revolution. Um, it, it's really been kind of cooking, brewing a little bit in me for some time now. And we really just made probably a month ago a commitment that now uh, was the right time to unfold it. Uh, part of this just grows out of the fact that I just continue to have just incredibly high hopes for Troy Christian Church. Right, to have a tangible impact in our community of Troy, in our communities around us, maybe even our whole county. And while um, perhaps at times we have been more impactful previously, I just continue to believe that we have yet to realize the potential that God has given us uh, to influence, right, to impact, and to reach people uh, for Jesus. Now, the last two songs... Uh, we sang this morning were chosen on purpose. At least the first one was chosen on purpose. I'm glad the second one was uh, chosen. I didn't have anything to do with that. But the first song, Even the Impossible, um, I think I chose that just as kind of a, um, a theme to weave through this whole series just because it's a song that fills us with truth about uh, the potential and the power that is ours in Jesus. Words like the stones getting ready to roll, right? faith that is starting to rise, uh, a grave that is hollow of power, a battle that's already won and God's kingdom has already come. I love the recognition that God has already made it possible for us as his people um, and his church to make the impact that he's called us to make. He, he's already fueled that inside of us. The line that gets my attention, I think, in the song the most is, um, I see a church on the verge of revival, right? And, and that's because it just maybe reflects the tension that I, uh, that I feel or that I live with personally, because I sense that, um, that we as a church, that we're pregnant with potential, right? And just ready to give birth, if you would, to revival. And yet I think ultimately revival comes from God. And if God has already done these things for us, the things that only He can do for His kingdom, then it means to me that the things that still need to be done are the things that you and I need to engage in. That those barriers to revival as a church or individuals really rest with us if God's already done what only He can do. So I, I trust that he's going to do what he needs to do for these things to happen, and that it's time for us um, as a church and as individuals to begin to passionately do the things that he has called us to do in our lives. So uh, that's what we're going to address in this series, actually in the one that's going to follow as well. And then I love that song, Goodness of God. I mean, that is a special song to me just in the last um, seven months. It's been at the top of my playlist um, with regard to just the loss of Christopher and a perspective song that helps me just kind of navigate the, the feelings and emotions that go with that. And yet, as I've listened to it in the context of this series and what we're doing today, I think it's just, um, uh, it's just a perfect song because it's, I mean, that is the motivation for our lives, is the motivation for our obedience um, and for the revolution, if you would, that, that we live in grace, that we are covered by God's love, that we are empowered by God's Spirit 
and that we are indeed called to change the world that we live in. And, and that song reminds us, like, we don't do this to pay an invoice that we owe for our salvation. Jesus took care of that on the cross, but instead reminded that, that, um, that we don't do it because God's going to love us more. He couldn't value us any more than he already does and that he's laid out for us. So we, we live this life. We engage in these things that are going to cause growth in our lives and in our church and in God's kingdom. We do it because we are grateful recipients of the grace of God and the goodness of God. And that's a perspective that takes us down many good roads. And forgetting that perspective takes us down a lot of dead-end roads. Now, in this series, um, Drew and I are going to just challenge us with some responses to the goodness of God, um, how to embrace some revolutionary life choices, if you will, that relate to generosity or spiritual growth or community or serving God, just things that we think are key choices that help us put ourselves in a place where God can actually use us to significantly impact our world. And then in August, in our next series, we're going to turn the spotlight toward outreach, toward what we need to do outside of this place that only we can do in our world. So let me transition from thinking about the church in the big picture, okay, to instead through this series talk about what is God calling each of us to do personally in the context of how our um, personal choices affect not only us, but they affect his church, and they affect his kingdom, they affect what impact that we can have as a church. And I want to say up front, the truth is that some of you are already doing the things we're going to talk about. Okay? Some of you are engaged in some of these disciplines, some of these choices, some of these challenges, and if that's you, like just embrace God's affirmation. And be thankful that this area of your life is, is under control or in play, right? That's, that's the right thing to do when we know that we're walking the way God's called us to walk. But you know, many of us have discovered that, you know, that, that's kind of like an onion, right? God gets you in a good spot and he says, okay, now let's unpeel another layer. <laughs> let's pull back one more thing. So when you find yourself in the spot and God says, good job, just say, thank you. And then watch out because another thing may be coming because he's always trying to grow us in lots of different ways. So um, when you sense God's affirmation, just accept it, okay? But when God brings the conviction that change is needed on the other hand, I hope these songs just encourage us to remember to, to trust him enough to walk forward in faithful obedience to whatever it is God's calling us to do, whatever it is God's calling us to change, whatever words he's calling us to speak, those things. You know, the Holy Spirit brings that conviction that says this is for you. And so we embrace that challenge with conviction. So I've decided to start with the challenge of generosity, um, not because I'm a martyr, <laughs> okay? I'm going to give you three reasons. One is because I, like, I want to talk about this particular topic with us. The next couple weeks, I, well, the next week I'll be gone with the group to Montana. Um, and the following week we're going to be traveling back from Montana on a Saturday. 
And sometimes that works, and sometimes it doesn't. So Drew's going to bring the next two messages in the series, but I wanted to do this particular one. Second reason is we're about halfway through our calendar year, right? And there are some needs that we have and some things we want to accomplish. And so I'm hoping that for some this just brings some, some personal adjustments in an area of your life. And then third, and maybe most importantly, because I think the Bible's really clear that this particular issue is at the heart of many of our struggles personally and spiritually. Okay? And if his kingdom is going to have an impact through us, this is an area that we are going to have to deal with in our lives. All right, So nothing like starting out with a potentially hot topic. Um, but the tension um, of what God can do and what we might possibly do for his kingdom... It's just not my style to um, like to badger or to guilt people into obedience. And I don't think the revolutions are built on the back of manipulation or coercion. Okay? Instead, I, wanna, I chose this passage because this is a place where God calls us to action by looking at people who are doing the right things for the right reasons. And I think that's what really can produce change in our lives. So, to put 2 Corinthians chapter 8 in context, Paul is on his third missionary journey. And the church in Jerusalem is hurting significantly. And the people, the Christians in Jerusalem, are really struggling financially. And so he, as he's gone around to these different churches, these different towns on his missionary journey, he has asked the Christians there to contribute to the needs of the Christians in Jerusalem. Okay? Now... The Corinthian church, where this letter was sent to, the church in Corinth, they um, had made an early commitment to help out the Christians in Jerusalem. Okay? But they hadn't given a thing yet. And so Paul is going to loop back to them and say, hey, remember the commitment that you made. But instead of just coming out and somehow lowering the hammer on them and saying, hey, instead he's going to say, let me give you an example of somebody else who is doing the right thing for the right reason as a way to teach them about giving and as a way to teach us. So 2 Corinthians 8, begin with me in verse 1. Paul writes, And now, brothers and sisters, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. In the midst of a very severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability, entirely on their own, they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in service to the Lord's people. And they exceeded our expectations. They gave themselves, first of all, to the Lord, and then by the will of God, to us. So we urged Titus, just as he had earlier made a beginning, to bring also to completion this act of grace on your part. But since you excel in everything, in faith, and speech, and knowledge, and complete earnestness, and in the love we have kindled in you, see that you also excel in the grace of giving. Now, the Macedonians are Paul's example here to the church in Corinth. He says, look at them. He says, first of all, look how they give voluntarily. Okay? Verses 1 through 3, we read about this. Um, 
they were ne- economically depleted, as I said. That it's significant that even though they were struggling themselves financially, Paul says, they overflowed in rich generosity. Okay? And that it was their own idea, he says there in verse 3. So some of them were struggling because of persecution. Christians were persecuted before everything changed about 300 years later okay, with the Roman Empire. And most of them were struggling also just because they, they'd been excluded. Maybe they were in business with their fellow family members, Jewish people. And when they embraced Jesus, they were really excluded or excommunicated from their families. They might have um, been a Gentile in some kind of business. And yet, when they started embracing Jesus, their employers (laughs) pushed them out of that. But in spite of their poverty, it says they willingly connected collected offerings to assist other Christians in Jerusalem. Uh, Paul was so moved by this that when he started a new church, he set this pattern of missionary giving as the standard in all of the churches that he started. And yet in our passage, he's addressing the Corinthians because the, the Corinthians were the first to promise to give an offering, and yet they weren't giving those offerings, so he creates a contrast. The Corinthians had resources to do something, and yet they were doing nothing. The Macedonians were really struggling financially and and practically didn't have the resources to help, and yet they were the ones with the willing hearts. In the next chapter over, 2 Corinthians 9, Paul just underscores this idea of giving voluntarily when he says in chapter 9, verse 7, each of you should give what you've decided in your heart to give not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Listen, generosity is not a very common characteristic in our world. Okay? I mean, you can catch a news piece here or there that says someone did something good, but, uh, but there's not a lot of that going on out there. Okay? And, and we have some generous people in our church, but we're not all living generously in that way. So we... Uh, or just, I want to encourage you in our church, right? Develop this heart to give to others, to give generously, to give regularly as a discipline. These people were struggling financially, yet they willingly gave and became Paul's example. So, you know, for some of you, this will be a revolutionary move. But for some of you, I want to encourage you to start giving. Because you're not. And for some of you, I would encourage you to start giving regularly. Because maybe you're only giving sporadically. For others, maybe God would encourage you to increase what you're giving. And some are maybe even ready to give that tithe, that 10%. It's not a requirement. It's not an obligation. It's an understanding. God, everything I have is from you. And all that I, quote, own, I really just manage because it's all yours. And it'll be nothing when I'm gone anyway, but while I'm here, I'm going to honor you with the first fruits of what you have given to me. In our world, generosity can be just like solid evidence of a changed or transformed life. Remember, a disciple is someone who's been transformed by Jesus. And one reason I chose this passage is because we also learn from it 
that we are to give as God has blessed us, okay? Or give as God has blessed you. I'm to give as God has blessed me. Look at verse 3 where he says, For I testify that though they gave, that they gave as much as they were able, even beyond their ability, entirely on their own. Okay? Now, the people of Macedonia could have made excuses for not giving. Here's the reason we're not able to contribute right now. But they were willing to give in spite of their circumstances. Right? And so we asked just why is that so? I think, well, when you've seen God move, when you've seen God change lives, it gives you courage to trust Him. Okay? We sing that song, The Goodness of God, and if you're in a space where you can think back in your life, at all the times that God has been faithful to you, doesn't it give you courage to take that next step forward in sometimes a very dark or unknown future? To say, well, I've got a history that shows that God has been faithful to me, and I trust that he will be in the future as well. Again, we're talking about a group of Christians that have probably been blacklisted. Oh, they're part of that group, and so they're not part of productive society in that way and it caused them to to lose their income create these family or financial crises in their life and yet they are eager to give and that can only i think be explained as the work of jesus the work of god in our lives when he takes us from from wherever we are and he gives us hope or he takes us at times like those macedonian christians might have felt like they're broken because of just following God, and yet he uses broken people sometimes to bring healing in the lives of others, and that's what was going on with these churches. And this passage reminds us that God isn't just interested in the size of our gift, okay? He's interested in the heart that we give with, each person able to give just what they can give with regard to how God has blessed them. Remember when Jesus was watching the... um, with his disciples, the people that were going by the temple boxes and putting in their offerings. Okay? By the way, we, we stopped during COVID passing offering plates. And some of you will know that we, we put a couple of offering boxes. There was one in the lobby and one in the back, but nobody goes out the back anymore. So it's now in this lobby. Okay? Um, and part of that is just because of the COVID piece and partly because so many of you give electronically or you give through your banks or other ways that that not a lot of giving comes in through just the offering at the church anymore. But there's several of you do, and you know where those boxes are, and we appreciate that. Um, but Jesus was watching people. Hopefully you don't just stand in the lobby and watch who goes by the offering box. That's part of why we stopped passing the plates, too, because people are giving electronically. People are giving through their banks, and they keep passing this plate in front of them, and they're like, well, maybe I should put something in. Well, it wasn't for anybody to see in the first place, right? So that's why we put the boxes there. But Jesus is watching this with his disciples. In Luke chapter 21, verses 1 through 4, we read these words. He looked up and saw the rich dropping their offerings into the temple treasury or into those boxes. He also saw a poor widow dropping in two tiny coins. I tell you the truth, he said, this poor widow has put in more than all of them. For all these have put in gifts out of their surplus. But she, out of her poverty, has put in all she had to live on. The Macedonian church, Paul says, was a great example because even though they didn't have much, they were willing to let it go. 
even though had so much less compared to like the, the Christians in Corinth, they were still willing to just give from what God had given them. Later in this chapter, in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 12, it says, For if the willingness is there, the gift is acceptable according to what one has, not according to what one does not have. Okay? We give as we have received God's blessing. I mean, giving isn't a competition. And we as individuals or families, we shouldn't be measuring what we do against what someone else does. It's just giving in proportion to how we've been blessed. And God is honored by that. Now, these Macedonians also teach us to give to receive a blessing. Okay? Now, that gets a little dicey because okay? I'm not talking about the prosperity gospel. If you will just, then God will type of a thing. And I'm not planning on starting my own TV ministry, you know, so this isn't a warm-up for that. I don't think that would go very well or have many followers. But I am talking about a revolutionary idea. Look down at verse 4. It says, they, meaning these Macedonian Christians, urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the Lord's people. I think, wow, what a breath of spiritual fresh air in that. I love it when a follower of Jesus not only understands, but also can put words to truth that we receive from God and others so much more than we ever give. Okay? If you have been a giver, if you have been an investor, if you have engaged in the lives of people in ministry, you understand the truth of that, that we receive so much more than we ever give. Listen, I mean, we're not trying to create here a group of donors, okay? That's not the purpose. And, and my message is not to make you a contributor, okay? We, we're making disciples, and oftentimes great disciples are great givers because they understand that our giving advances God's kingdom that it's a gift to him for him to use in that way it advances not only God's kingdom but our own personal discipleship because it causes us to to loosen the grip of the world on our hearts when we give voluntarily when we give how God has blessed us when we see when we give uh, to to receive a blessing. And then the last thing uh, for the Macedonians, that they give themselves first to the Lord. Okay, This is an important piece. I mean, hear Paul's excitement. Hear his pride. He started these people on a spiritual journey, and now they're bearing fruit in their lives. He writes <clears throat> to these struggling believers, or regarding them in verse 5, and they exceeded our expectation, these Macedonian Christians, they gave themselves first of all to the Lord and then by the will of God also to us. I mean, it's interesting that the Macedonian Christians were struggling financially, but at the same time they were thriving spiritually. Okay? And their spiritual vitality, Paul says, spilled over into financial generosity. They gave because they were alive spiritually. The, the truth is like, all we have belongs to the Lord. Okay? We are His disciples. And as a disciple, all of my life includes my financial resources or whatever resources I might have. And so when we give, we're giving to help the work of God move forward. We're giving so that we can demonstrate 
a changed life we're giving because our priorities have changed. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6, beginning in verse 19, Don't store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy and thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, Jesus says, there your heart will be also. And this is how discipleship works. We give ourselves to God, and then our gift follows. Okay? It's because we understand, like we're simply stewards of what God has put us in charge of. All of it will be gone eventually. The greater hold it has on us, the harder it is for God to get a hold of us. And the greater room we, are, we make by giving, the greater God has an opportunity to capture our hearts. So, Paul highlights the Macedonian Christians for these Corinthian believers, and then he turns the spotlight back on them. And I think it's encouraging when he's going to encourage them now, after that example, just to give faithfully. Verses 6 and 7, he writes these words. So I urged Titus, just as he had earlier made a beginning, to bring also to completion this act of grace on your part. But since you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, and in love, and in the love we have kindled in you, see that you also excel in the grace of giving. Listen, giving is a part of growing as a Christian. And I love reading this part of 2 Corinthians. If you've ever read the book of 1 Corinthians, you will know that Paul was writing to a pretty immature group of people. I mean, the things he addresses in there are like, like, should that really be happening in the church? Sometimes we ask that amongst ourselves, right? We think about the struggles going on because we have new people and, and growing Christians and young Christians and sometimes just immature ones. Reminds me, John Maxwell used to say about people that, that were just um, kind of coasting through and getting by. He used to say, you know, they love Jesus, they're going to heaven, but they don't have a clue. <laughs> That's kind of the Corinthians. And you read through the book of 1 Corinthians, you think, man, this church had some problems. And yet here he comes back in the second book or the second letter that he wrote to these people after the first letter saying, I mean, you guys got some problems. And he says things like, you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in earnestness, in love. He's saying, you responded well to the things I wrote. And that's encouraging to see, right? That there's growth that's happening. And it's kind of like that layer of the onion. And so Paul says, okay, so now let's talk about something else. And so in chapters 8 and 9 of 2 Corinthians, he talks to them about this more specific area of giving and generosity because they were ready for it. They were ready to do something that they could do in partnership with God who is doing already what only he can do. Now, as we kind of wind down, let me suggest there are three levels of giving that we can participate in. Okay, I don't mean like gold, silver, bronze, that type thing. I mean three levels. The first level is this. The first level of giving is just the most basic. You give because you have to. Like you feel some sort of um, law. Somebody said I need to do it, so I do it. And while that's okay, it doesn't produce a lot of great things in our lives if that's the reason that we're giving. Now, I could literally preach many ser a series of many sermons where the Bible says you need to give. Okay? But since it's the lowest level of motivation, and it's kind of the level one, I, I don't think that produces the fruit that we want, and so we're just not going to do that. 
Level two giving is when you give because you ought to. Okay? In other words, you feel an obligation. And there are things that I think all of us do because it's the right thing to do. There are things that all of us do because we feel a sense of obligation. Um, and when we do that, um, I feel good about doing those things in life. But I find that obligated giving rarely produces joy in me. It's just a sense of satisfaction because I did what is right. And rarely does it actually grow my character or stretch me because I'm just fulfilling what I feel like is the right thing to do. Level three giving then is when I give because I want to. Because I want to. Because I get to give. Because I believe in what I'm actually supporting or giving in. Uh, because I often give out of gratitude for what I've received from God. Level three, giving is motivated by grace. It's not an obligation. It's not a have to. It's a get to and it's a want to. And I think that's the kind of giving that revolutionizes our life and really grows us in our character. When you came in this morning on your chair, there, were, there was a card. And we're going to have just some cards for the next few weeks of choices that we're going to ask you to consider. And so on this card, there are four different boxes to check. One that, the first one just says, um, I'm going to commit to begin giving regularly. Again, for some of you, that might be begin giving. <laughs> and for some of you, it might be instead of just when I feel like it, I'm, I'm just going to do it regularly. Some of you are in a place where you're ready to increase your giving. Like I've been at this level, but I know that's not where God wants me to be, and I'm going to take a step forward in faith, and I'm going to change my giving. And, and some of you are ready to take a bigger step. I want to give um, a tithe, 10%. I know it all belongs to Him, and there's no mandate in the New Testament that you have to give a tithe. Uh, it's an Old Testament law, but it's a principle that guides all of Scripture and guides us in understanding God would say, if I, if I have that 10%, I realize you, own a, you realize I own it all, and you're responding to that. Now, for some of you, that fourth blank might just be the best one. Like, I really need someone to help me on my personal finances so I can get to a place where I can give back to God in His kingdom. Any of those are good. Okay, place your name, email. You can drop these in those offering boxes anyway. I'll tell you what's not on here, okay? And that is a box that just says, Thank you, God, for enabling me to be a regular giver, <laughs> okay? So again, as I said up front, if that's where you're at, then you just take that confirmation from God and pray for somebody around you. We're going to give you a little bit of time to think about, God, is there a commitment you're, you're leading me to make today with regard to this? A few moments of silence. If Again, if you're there, pray for someone who's around you that might need to grow in this particular area so that again as a church we just have a greater opportunity to impact those around us so i'm going to pray bless some time and then we'll close and worship here in a minute again drop these in the box as you go out today father in the stillness of our time with you we're reminded of your goodness we're reflective of the life that you have given us the difficult times where you have been so faithful not only to be with us, but to take us beyond where we're at and faithfully uh, bring us back to just a good place with you. And Lord, we're mindful of the blessings that you have provided for us and our families, the good gifts that you have given us, the way you have taken care of our needs and taken care of us. 
and we want to be faithful to you to return that to you and invest in your kingdom so it can grow. Grow us first, Father, and then let these things follow. We pray in Jesus' name.